This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Pride is the only sin. Maybe another way of saying it. Pride is the sin that begets, that gives birth to every other sin. Go ahead and think of a sin. You got one in your mind? And see if that thing can't be traced all the way back to the source of me thinking about myself in a way that I should not. From Satan's rebellion in heaven to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to me when I fly off the handle at people who are just plain getting in my way. Satan didn't rebel because he didn't like heaven. And Adam and Eve didn't eat because they were hungry, and I didn't fly off the handle simply because I can't resist anger. It's because we all thought we had a better idea than God. One that saw me as the center of my world. It's Holy Week. It's the last Holy Week that Jesus will spend on earth, and he's already under attack, and it's not even Good Friday yet. After telling a few scathing parables against the people who thought that they were the ones on the fast track to God's kingdom, and Jesus had to tell them that they were, in fact, on the wrong side of a closed, locked, and never-to-be-opened-again door, each one of Jesus' opponents came to take a shot at him. First, the Pharisees laid their clever trap to see if Jesus might say it. Don't pay taxes to Caesar. 
Then the Sadducees came by, spewing their situational syllogisms and rational reasoning to somehow prove that the resurrection from the dead was just a farce. It was all fake. Then there's that teacher of the law futzing around with his 613 commands of Torah, most of which he added, asking Jesus, which one is the greatest? Seeking out the Christ to serve as an arbiter of the law of Moses rather than as a bringer of the grace of God. With some words of warning and woe, Jesus turned his focus away from his opponents who only wanted to trap him and shifted his attention to the crowds that followed and the disciples who listened. Jesus was going to upend everything we thought we should expect to to look for in life. Jesus has to do what Jesus always has to do and teach disciples both then and now how things work in the ruling and reigning activity of God. Jesus is going to redefine some terms for us. Things like greatness and glory, power and pride, suffering and service, things we thought we had nailed down a long time ago, Jesus is going to come and flip them on their head. You see, it's only natural for the humans to desire things like recognition and respect and power, and we think we know what it looks like when someone has achieved those things. It can, and it often does, look prim, proper, pious, and put together. Take, for example, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' time. I mean, nobody looked more prim, proper, pious, and put together than those guys did. But you've heard it before. The man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord Jesus looks at the heart. And that's the problem. Those prim, proper, pious, and put-together preachers were speaking the sacred scriptures, but they were missing the message entirely. Jesus said, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Now, that's not sarcasm. That's Jesus acknowledging that these guys, when they speak the word of God, that's actually what it is. The word of God, listen to that. But he says, do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Those Pharisees, those teachers of the law, those guys who sit in Moses' seat, they had access to the word of God. But rather than proclaim the promise of the Lord, you know, the one who is slow to anger and abounding in love, the one who delights to show mercy, the Lord who promised to send a Savior who just so happens to be standing right in front of us in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. Rather than proclaim that promise, they threw out more demands than God did. They burdened people with unbearable loads pressed onto the shoulder of every sinner. And they looked pretty good while doing it. Which was kind of what some of them were after anyway. Jesus said, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. So what's the problem here? Long flowing robes, seats in front in worship, respectful greetings, Now, it is not lost at all on me what I'm wearing today. 
and where my chair is in church and what most of you called me when you walked in the door. So what's the problem here? Is it really all about robes and, and seats up front and respectful greetings? Well, no, it's nothing superficial because Jesus always sees to the heart. And the heart is what's the problem. Not just in the, in the teachers of the law or the preachers in the church, but in each and every one of us. Because in each and every one of us lives a sinful nature that only wants to exalt myself. Or at least to push a few other people down to make myself look a little more exalted. A sinful nature that wants only to be served. To give in to that one and only sin, the sin that begets all others, pride. To make me the focus of my life, to make me the end of all my goals. Jesus knows that this whole temptation to a life with self at the center is a problem. None of Jesus' followers, both then or now, are immune to it. Has it ever struck you when you read through the Gospels just how many times you hear Jesus' disciples talking about their favorite subject, arguing about which one of them is the greatest? Doesn't that seem a little odd? I mean, I don't think I have ever had a conversation with another person on that topic. But I'll tell you what, I have an internal dialogue about that topic every single day. Because what lives inside of this sinful heart, the same as yours, is a sinful nature that wants only to exalt self, wants only to be served. And you see this from little on, and the thing never really goes away, does it? It just looks a bit different with each phase of life. From the baby who cares nothing for its parents' need for sleep, to the small child who elbows his way ahead of his little brother with the oft-repeated refrain of, me first! to the texting teen who is so wrapped up in their response that they can't be bothered to lift their eyes off of their phone before they bomb out into the crosswalk because, of course, everyone will stop for me, to the career-minded career person who is driven by, by self-desire uh, to, to make it somewhere and will stop at nothing to get it, to the perfectly crafted, uh, beautifully manicured social media post that will present me and my family in the exact light that I want people to see us. What's your goal in life? To be admired by people? Or to receive the praise of God? What's your ambition? To reach a certain level or status or position, whether at work or in the family or even in the church, rather than simply serve others around you? Think about it this way. What are your first thoughts when you get up in the morning? Well, today I have to do this and this and go there and then come back to do this and finish up with that before I finally get to come home at night. And not, that person needs me. I've been set free by God to serve my neighbor in love, so how can I do that today? I don't know, it's close. It's either 99% or 100% of everything I see gets filtered through this one question. How's this all going to affect me? It's kind of scary how subtly and quickly it happens. That I can no longer see the God who sets me free or my neighbor in need who's next to me because my eyes are just so fixated on myself. Lord, have mercy on me, a pride-filled sinner. 
And he does. Because if the gospel promises us anything, it's that Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. And to prove it, listen to what he promises. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. Jesus isn't intending to do away with pastors and teachers and parents, but rather to show us the ultimate truth, the capital T kind of truth that stands behind each of them, and to which each of them are to point us. You don't need to run out and find some other master who will make you no promises and certainly not deliver on those non-existent promises. You don't need to to seek out a title like Father simply for the self-honor that comes from it. You don't need to run out and find another instructor who will just point you to the law that you can't fulfill. Because Jesus says you have one master. You have one father. You have one teacher who is the Christ. Rather than let us go on living a life with self at the center, Jesus shows us that he is everything. He himself is the center and circumference, the sum and substance of everything. Just as surely as God is your Father and the Christ lives and loves to deliver that promise to you over and over again. Jesus knows that this whole temptation to life with self at the center is going to be a problem for his people. So watch what he does. If pride is the only sin, then humility is the only cure. But it's not yours. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What's Jesus aiming at here? Not primarily teaching us how we interact with each other, though certainly that's not excluded, but rather how we relate with God. Rather than thinking about how other people see us and perceive us, let's consider for a second how we stand before the Almighty. I see the perfect demands of God for holiness in his law, and I also see my complete inability to meet them. I am more than humbled by the law of God. I'm crushed. And that's exactly where you need to be. Because did you hear Jesus say that next part? Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Will be exalted. That's a passive verb. You can't exalt yourself because, well, that's grammatically impossible. So you're exalting, you're lifting up, your deliverance will have to come from somewhere outside of you. Someone else will have to affect that transformation. And who is it? You heard what Jesus said, didn't you? The greatest among you will be your servant. Those words find their perfect fulfillment in the one who speaks them. Jesus was the perfect pride of his Father, and there was no sin in that, just as surely as there was no sin in Jesus. And yet, God made him to be your sin and mine. The unbearable burden of our sin and guilt and shame that weighed us down, threatening to squash us into hell forever, 
Jesus did more than just lift a finger to point us back to the law that we wouldn't be able to keep. Instead, he himself was lifted up on the cross to make your burden his burden, to make God your Father, to be himself the most humble servant who humbled himself to, to, to shameful death so that he could raise you to glorious life in him. Yes, Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross, but God raised him again and exalted him to the highest place. And now here's where you come in. Because you have been baptized into Christ. Baptized into his death, and so for sure, you are partakers in his resurrection. Do you see what that means? Now, what's true of Jesus is true of you. You have died to sin and been raised to new life. What Jesus says, you say. What Jesus does, you do. Where Jesus is headed, guess what? He's bringing you with him. And he is the one who affects this most marvelous transformation of all, setting us free from that only sin, that one sin that begets all others, and declaring us to be his pride and joy. That is what makes you great. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Instead, he shows himself to still be in the business of lifting up the humble and lowly and filling the hungry with good things. Freely you have received. Freely give. With a love like that at the center of everything we are, it's kind of hard not to see things a little bit differently, isn't it? Set free from sin, the burden of our guilt and shame removed forever and turned loose into the world. And you'll see things differently in a world that is driven by pride and motivated by self-aggrandizement toward greatness. How refreshing it is just to lose ourselves in Christ and gain everything. You, dear child of God, show your greatness in service. You, dear child of God, are the pride and joy of your Father in heaven. And on the cross, he demonstrated the immensely high value he places on you. In the rule and reign of God, brought to its fulfillment in Christ, nothing is as we'd expect. And it's marvelous. In humility, there is greatness. In service, there's freedom. And in Christ, you are exalted. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.